Leading Saints is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. To see a full scope of the Leading Saints content, visit leadingsaints.org and check out more episodes of this podcast, written articles about leadership for Latter-day Saints, and even the many topic-focused libraries. A great place to start would be the Liberating Saints Library, where you'll find 25-plus interviews related to helping individuals overcome struggles with pornography. Simply text the word LEAD to 474747, and we'll reply back with a link for easy access. We're headed to Madison, Wisconsin to chat with Bishop Darren Bush. How are you? I'm great. Yeah. Awesome. Now, I don't, I'm don't. i trying to think uh, how many you know Wisconsin leaders we've interviewed, but uh, I, I'm guessing less than five. So you're on the short list there. How is it uh, you ended up in uh, beautiful Wisconsin? Uh, a girl. Um, <laughs> <laughs> End of story. All right. I, I, I met my wife. I uh, came back from my mission in, uh, in 83. And... Um, I uh, went to BYU. I, I hitchhiked up there with my suitcase. And, you know, if you stand out on I-5 and hold a sign that says BYU, you get, get a ride in about five minutes, right? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> it and, works more uh, effectively than holding a chainsaw. That's great. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> or spare change or whatever. But, yeah, I just held up a sign that said BYU and over pulls a big van and it's like, get in. That uh, may be the tip of the interview right there. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> Never hitchhike. This is also in the 80s, so um, yeah. with a van full of blondes pulls over it, you understand they're going to BYU because, you know, <laughs> <laughs> nice. that RULDS license plate frame. I'm like, this is probably a safe car to get into. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, but uh, yeah, I met my wife, and she's from here, and uh, came for my wedding reception, and I said, why doesn't everybody live here? It's paradise. And my awesome. father-in-law said, I don't know, and uh, University of Wisconsin's rated top top five in both of my, my undergraduate degrees. And so I transferred here and, and uh, went to grad school in New York and came back right back back to Madison because this is where I wanted to raise my family. Nice. And, and so where did you, where were you raised? I was raised in Southern California. Oh, okay. And that's where you uh, hitchhiked from. Is that that's right? where I hitchhiked from. <laughs> cool. Nice. And uh, how long have you been serving as a bishop? Four years, one month, and three days. Oh, wow. You know, that uh, the paper chain behind you is a little obvious that you're, you're counting <laughs> yeah. down the days now. Actually, a little countdown in the corner of, of uh, you know, the death clock or whatever. It's, <laughs> it's the death nice. clock. <laughs> nice. Well, we had an opportunity to kind of get to know each other. You've been such a great support to leading saints and uh, you're, you uh, you know, you've, I know you follow the newsletter and, and we chat for various uh, points on, online through social media and whatnot. And uh, you often describe yourself as an atypical bishop and one that maybe uh, that came as a surprise when that call came to you. So what do you remember of that, uh, that call to serve as bishop? Is there a story there? Uh, oh, yes, there's a story there. So um, I'll, I'll back up a little bit. So it first happened, I've been trying to stay under the radar for a long time and just try and be like Jesus, right? Um, <laughs> I don't consider myself to be a leader in that way. Um, I'm not particularly pious. Um, <laughs> um, I'm a little rough around the edges sometimes, but, um, I just love people. So, um, I was, uh, in a, in a YSA bishopric and loved it. Um, 
was released from that. And the Sunday I came to my family ward, they called me to be executive secretary. I said, fine, I'll do that. Then they called me to be in the bishopric. I said, been there, done that. That's fine. And I was the second counselor. I thought, okay, I'm safe. Um, I get a call from the executive secretary who I knew because we were on the high council together. And he said, hey, Darren, the state president wants to see you. I'm like, okay, well, I'm coming straight from work. So he's like, that's fine. We don't care. All right. So he called my wife and said the same thing. And uh, my wife started crying as soon as he called her. And uh, I was clueless, completely clueless. So I show up in Birkenstocks and shorts and, you know, a work shirt, basically. And, <laughs> yeah. And uh, my state president is one of my dearest friends. I love him uh, like a brother. And I said, okay, so what's up? And... Uh, <laughs> He said, Stephanie, tell me about your husband. I said, oh, no, 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 we're not going into that. He's like, I'm talking to her, not you. And she did what most wives do. Is, You're, he's the best. He's great, blah, blah, blah. He said, uh, so, Darren, um, we want to call you to be the bishop of the Madison First Ward. I went, really? I said, you know me. And he said, yeah, I know you. I said, you know, I'm not what you might consider to be typical bishop. You know, I don't like wearing white shirts, and I don't like, I'm not going to act differently. I'm going to be me. And he said, well, we're kind of counting on that. I said, well, you know, members may be, you know, the new members may not know who I am and may be unhappy. Man, I have a visible tattoo and I'm just me. And uh, he said, but you love everybody. I said, well, true. And he said, that's what the word needs right now is someone to love everybody. I said, okay, is that all I have to do? He said, yep. I said, okay, I'll do it. And wow. um, we have an interesting ward because yeah. it's about 400 members. Um, about 50 of them are Latino and Spanish speaking because we don't have enough right now for a branch, but we have enough for a group. So I actually have three counselors, two Anglo and one Latino, and he's responsible for the for that, that section of the, of the ward. And we have separate Relief Society and Priesthood, but uh, in Sunday school, but the primary is integrated because most of the primary kids speak English better than I do. Mm -hmm. um, they're, <laughs> they're great. So, and do you um, speak I, Spanish? Um, I speak Italian. Uh, so oh, okay. in Italy, but my, the joke is with the, the Latino members is I speak Spanish like a five-year-old Italian. Um, <laughs> nice. I know enough to do what I need to do. Um, I yeah. know enough. I can do temporary. I can interviews. I can talk to people. When we get into a spot where I'm over my head, um, it's like I just call for my my backup, which doesn't happen too often. But it's um, they have their own their own separate sacrament meeting twice a month. They meet in the Relief Society room, and um, it's growing and it's lovely. And we have. Um, the third counselor uh, is one of my favorite people in the world. Uh, his wife is from Colombia, and um, they had 13 elders at the Ed Priesthood two weeks ago, and hmm. we're almost there. And um, Carl said, how many people do we need? What do we need for a, a branch? I said, you need 20. He said, why 20? I said, 10 to run the branch and 10 for the bench, because you're not going to leave people in there for five years. They'll just yeah. fry. Yeah. And he said, okay, and they're working on it. And we're having, uh, you know, some baptisms, mostly it's reactivation. There are so many Latinos in our area that nobody knows about that. They moved here 10 years ago. They've been inactive for 15, uh, but we're finding them. And hmm. um, 
it's it's just lovely. It's just yeah. wonderful. So I think uh, hopefully when I am released, we'll form a branch at the same time, and that would be my dream. That's awesome. That's awesome. And do you have a, a set of Spanish missionaries that help cover your the Spanish speaking? Correct. Yeah, we uh, have an English set and a Spanish set. Spanish awesome. speaking set. Yeah. Nice. And I, w- I would imagine your uh, your counselor who speaks Spanish is he the one that like presides when you have a Spanish sacrament meeting? Or correct. Yeah, he presides oh, nice. over that. And nice. But, but we do meet together probably once, sometimes twice a month. Like when we had our Christmas program, they all came in, and when we're all together. Uh, we always have one of the prayers is in Spanish and one of the sacrament prayers is in Spanish. Um, yeah. so they feel like they're included and, um, we translate, uh, we've got headphones in the back and we've got quite a few, as most wards do, uh, quite a few, uh, very good Spanish speakers. Um, some return missionaries, some like have a degree in are teaching Spanish here <laughs> yeah. right, at the university. So, um, nice. it's, it's wonderful. Well, that definitely hits a special spot in my heart. You know, I served in Sacramento, stateside Spanish speaking, and uh, in one area, we there was a similar dynamic where there was just not enough members to justify a branch, but we were part of an English ward, and and you know, it means a lot for those members to be able to at least see an attempt for you know the gospel to be taught in their their language for them to worship in their language and whatnot and and oftentimes i hear it's easy to dismiss to think you know in an english predominant english-speaking country just sort of say well you know they should just get involved and like they can learn the language and i always say no church is not a place to learn a language the church is a place to learn the gospel and so the more an individual can or word can do to create, you know, obviously it wouldn't make sense maybe to do every week or, you know, or you just don't have the resources to do that. But the fact that you're attempting to create some level of consistency with them hearing the gospel in Spanish, I think goes a long way. Absolutely. Well, right. And I've had some, some generally older members said, my grandparents came to this country and they assimilated and they learned the languages. Mm-hmm. No, they didn't. Their kids did. <laughs> that, just, that doesn't happen. Right. And I have friends who are Italian, whose grandparents came here, they didn't speak English. Their parents spoke English and Italian, and then they just spoke English, right? That's how the assimilation works here. Okay, people over 40 don't learn the language. They, they yeah. can learn some, um, but their their kids are the ones that really integrate the family into into the culture here. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, I, and I, there's so many other ways, you know, if that individual or members of the ward do want to learn English. There's so many ways outside of church worship services to do that. But anyways, I think we've, uh, we've already stated some things, Darren, uh, we're going to get some, some uh, emails and, and I welcome them. (laughs) So any other, uh, any other uh, like, uh, dynamics of your ward that would be worth mentioning, just give us an idea of the the type of, of ward that that you lead. We are, uh, about, I'd say about a third, a quarter to a third is associated with the university because um, hmm. the University of Wisconsin's in our word boundaries and student housing is in our word boundaries. So we have a lot of um, 26-year-old couples with a two-year-old and a four-year-old who move here for graduate school or for an internship or for uh, medical school or residency. So um, just thinking off the top of my head, at least a half a dozen medical residents Wow. Um, so it's a, uh, it's, that's about a third. The other third are more established people that have been around for a while. Old, older families. I, I put myself in that group, sadly. Um, what's interesting <laughs> is we don't have a lot of people in their forties. 
it's like people in their twenties and thirties and then people in their fifties and older. But, um, it's, so the it, youth program isn't huge, I would imagine. The youth area. program is perfect because they can all fit in my living room. Oh, nice. <laughs> and we have firesides because I actually have a fireplace and they were over last night and, you know, they, they have to squeeze onto the couch a little bit, but yeah, I, that's cool. I, I, I'm a big fan of, you know, I grew up in a ward that had two deacons corms, um, typical California baby boomer ward. And, uh-huh. um, we have three deacons. Nice. And you know what? I love, it's like, it's, there's no zone defense here, right? Yeah. We, we can get in there and I mean, I, I know my youth way better than any of my leaders ever knew me. Yeah. That's awesome. And you know, there's so many metrics that go into, you know, the size of wards and when to split a ward or whatnot, but maybe we should just all default to, can the youth fit in the Bishop's living room? And that should be the, the go-to metric. Such Preach, a, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. There's other dynamics, things to worry about, but, uh, but that's such, I, I love how you, uh, how you frame that because it, you know, when, when the Bishop can really have an experience, you know, one, you know, with the youth and help them see that, Hey, I know you, you know, that goes a long way and, and fitting into your, your family room that does definitely helps with that. So and a lot awesome. of them run up in Sacramento and hug me too. Um, nice. you know, and said, so, <laughs> so I'm Bishop Darren. I'm not Bishop Bush. I don't, I don't I, you know, brother Joseph can be brother Joseph. I can be Bishop Darren. <laughs> I think sometimes titles are distancing rather than, than, than embracing mm-hmm. and Bishop Darren works for me. Um, and, uh, I was sitting last night and there was a young woman who came for the first time. She's fairly new to the ward. Um, she's Latina, um, has transportation issues. So we figured that out and got her there and Maya's great. And I said, hi, I'm, I'm Bishop Darren. And one of them said, or Uncle Darren. I said, well, I was Uncle Darren before I'm Bishop, and I'll be Uncle Darren after I'm Bishop. But I've, <laughs> I've known a lot of these kids since they were toddlers. Yeah. And so they're 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 part of my, my extended family. Yeah. No, I love that sort of that. It sort of shifts the connotation of Bishop from being like this, you know, the principal of the ward to no, he's more like the uncle of the ward. And when, when you're done, you can call me uncle instead. And, and Bishop is maybe synonymous with that. Right. You know, uh, Richard Osler is, you know, Papa Osler. Right? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. that's, that's a really great way of looking at it is he was the father of the ward. Now he's the Papa. Yeah. And, uh, a little, little different, little different dynamic, but yeah, I, I, our, our youth are, they're so wonderful. So, so wonderful. They're all really good people. Uh, awesome. They just happen to be members of our ward. Yeah. Yeah. So as we do with these, how I lead interviews, I had you send me a, a list of some principles that, uh, that we can explore and, and understand more deeply. And, and well, let's go through this. The first one is, uh, ignore everything administrative delegate to counselors. And this is just solid advice. How do you, uh, how do you go about that? Well, so my business is I, I have an, I have a retail store and I, I sell outdoor outdoor equipment um, canoes and kayaks and and stuff like that and uh, we're we're a single door but we're pretty significantly sized single door here in Wisconsin it's it's paddle sports general I mean we're in the middle of water we've got more lakes than Minnesota and more rivers than any place I've ever been um, so basically I always say my business is an extension of my spiritual practice. And what I mean by that is, um, so every religious tradition in the world started outside, Hmm. right? It was the garden of Eden, not the chapel of Eden. 
right? Moses went to the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, right? Jesus went to the wilderness. All the desert fathers, right, from the early Christian history, um, Buddha sat under a tree. You know, Muhammad went to a cave outside of Mecca because he couldn't stand the noise and he couldn't talk to God. So when you think about that, all the way to Joseph Smith, right, he didn't go to the barn. He didn't go to the hayloft. He went to a grove of trees that he had been to before. So I am firmly um, committed to the idea that spiritual experiences happen most often outside. Hmm. So if I can get more people outside, they are more likely to feel the spirit. And they may not recognize it, recognize it as such then, but um, people tell me their lives are really good because they get outside more. And so my business is, I don't have an MBA. I mean, I have an Italian degree and a psychology degree in statistics, but um, basically um, I try and teach them correct principles and let them govern themselves. And I try and maintain power and influence through love and just so, you know, MBA in one section of the DNC. It's not that hard, right? Yeah. So I just take those things that I've learned from running a business and just apply them to the ward. And I don't like that run the ward like a business thing. That that yeah. that is not right. what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the principles of leadership are the same everywhere. So I'm not good at administration stuff. So here in my business, I have an accountant who's amazing. I have a GM who's amazing. I've got two buyers who are amazing. Um, my job is to make sure they have what they need to do their jobs and stay out of the way. So nice. in, my, in my ward, my job is to make sure that the auxiliaries and my counselors have everything they need to do their jobs and then stay out of the way. So I can focus on important things. Um, like I don't care if, who changes the light bulbs. I don't care who cleans the church. I don't care. I don't even care who assigns the talks, right? It's everything is under the direction of the Bishop. That's a big umbrella. So I delegate talks to my counselors and they work out who's going to talk and they might ask, so what kind of things do you want to talk about this next couple months? I said, well, what do you think? And what do you think is probably one of the best things a leader can say? because it throws them back at them. Number one, it's lazy, but that's okay. But number two, it, <laughs> it allows them to shine, right? It allows them to say, well, what about this person? I never would have thought of them. So um, that's under the direction of the bishop. So everything that is happening in the Word is under the direction of the bishop. But that doesn't mean I have to do everything or even be involved in everything. So I pulled yeah. way back from welfare issues are handled better by the Relief Society and the Elders Quorum than I could ever handle them. Um, so I focus on places where there's things that are serious, serious worthiness problems, which frankly, there aren't that many of them, and the youth and the widows. So, yeah. And, uh, you know, administrative tasks have this, uh, this gravitational pull, at least for some people more than others. But I mean, is there a temptation at time to to slip back into administrative things or is there uh, routines or things you've done to go about avoiding that uh, and training those that you delegate to, to make sure that you really want that administrative task to stick with them. Is there any temptation to, to fall back into administration? Absolutely. Zero. Um, <laughs> I train people to train other people. I'm, uh, my goal is to make myself completely redundant. So when I leave my business and you know, I'm going to in the next 
four or five years. I've got an exit strategy. My goal is to be gone for six months before anybody realizes it. Oh, nice. That's 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 the sign of a successful transition of leadership. I want to be not bishop for a while before people realize that I'm not bishop. That's more problematic, obviously, because I'm the figurehead. But, sure. um, but in I principle, fully, I see what you're saying. Right. right. But I, I fully plan on disappearing for a month after I'm released um, for a couple of reasons. Number one is I'll need a vacation. And number two, the new bishop gets a, gets a chance to set the tone for what he wants, for, for what he wants in the ward. Um, yeah, I love that. Well, I, I'm, I'm a pretty outgoing and loving person that way, and not everybody is. We've had bishops that are very outgoing and loving. We've had bishops that are much more administrative and good at running things. You know, we've had, I've had professors, we've had bank presidents, and bank presidents run the ward very differently than I do. Um, the first thing I do is push my desk against the wall. I don't sit behind the desk, you know, in that 1950s corporate style of, um, you know. <laughs> the I Cadillac am, desk is that what I always called it. <laughs> yeah, I am in power and you are a subordinate and you sit in the seat in front of me. And, and it's like the, the, the dynamic does not work work for worship. It's the wrong dynamic for worship. So um, usually when we sit in with the youth, one of the youth sits in my seat the big twirly seat because um, it makes them feel special. And if I ever meet with them in my office, they sit in the big seat and I don't. Um, anytime you can invert power dynamics, it's a good thing to do, period. Um, it puts people at ease. Um, the joke with my third counselor, Carl, is that we often meet, uh, we call it my Park Street office because South Park Street has a lot of uh, Mexican restaurants on it. And um, I can meet with someone from the Latino group who's struggling in the back booth at Tacoria El Pastor and mm. eat tacos and talk. And I'll get way more information out of them that way. And it'll be fun and pleasant. And it won't be a guy getting called at the principal's office. Yep. It's to the point where one of the, one of the waiters there calls me Obispo. <laughs> That's nice. Martí, hola. He's like, Obispo. <laughs> <laughs> and the missionaries yeah. actually found him on Facebook. So I think they're talking to him periodically. So, you know, <laughs> that's how the world works sometimes in a small town. You know, we're not, yeah. there. Madison's about 300,000. So it's pretty cool. Wow. I love that. Really, really helpful. And just the, um, I, and there's probably a whole a wormhole we could explore as far as just those those little changes one a leader can make, especially a bishop that, you know, leveraging even third party locations like a, a Mexican restaurant and eating tacos. And, bef- you know, by the time it's done, they didn't even know they met with their bishop. They just went to lunch with a friend. Right. And that's, that's right. ideally what we want. Right. Yeah. There's, so. there's a member in our ward, a lovely man. Uh, I, I knew him growing up. He was in the young men. Uh, um, just a good, good kid. Um, tough family life. He's Latino, and his dad wasn't in the picture. And uh, served a mission. Came back from his mission, and got his girlfriend pregnant. Um, they were high school sweethearts, and um, I said, "All right, let's get tacos," and because they wanted to get married. So I went and sat down with my paper and my pen. I said, "Okay, so what do you guys want your wedding to look like?" And they just come up and I said, no, what do you want, right? What do you want me to say? Where do you want it to be? And he just said, are we in trouble? I said, for what? 
He's like, well, she got pregnant. I'm like, yeah, that's happened before. It'll probably happen again. Yeah, should you keep the law of chastity? Yeah, you should. But they didn't. And she got pregnant and he wanted to make it right. Fine. I said, okay, so you're making it right. We're good. He's like, okay. So what do you want your wedding to look like? And he just went, you know, now he can just talk to me. And his wife isn't isn't a member. Um, her family is super Catholic. At the end of the day, we had tacos, and I got to hold his two year old, and we we had fun and we laughed and and I said, you know, we really need your leadership at church. He's like, oh, I know, man. I just work a lot. I said, you don't work Sunday, okay? Don't don't BS me. Okay. <laughs> we, we need you and your family as part of our group. Um, do you need the church? Yes, but we really need you. And he said, yeah. yeah, I should start paying tithing. I says, yes. Okay. First, just show up, right? Just start coming first and we'll worry about tithing after that. But I just want your seat. I want you and I want your seat there. That's one more towards a branch and they're great people, right? And yeah. we tend, we tend to sometimes look at people like, oh, they, you know, they broke the law of chastity and blah, blah, blah. It's like, Okay. I mean, there for the grace of God go most people, right? I mean, <laughs> they <Yeah>. engaged. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So wow. it's not, it's, it's, I'm not excusing it at all, but the thing is he's, he made it right. Right. Yeah. He repented and we're good. Now we can move forward and he's a good leader. He's a good man. There's no reason he can't participate. And yeah, he wouldn't have awesome. come to, he wouldn't have come to my office with his wife and his daughter at church. It would have been a very yeah. different conversation. And um, it was a beautiful conversation. I loved it. And I had really good tacos. <laughs> yes. All in the setting of, of a Mexican uh, taco restaurant. Really cool. And and I just, you know, highlighting the that you you were establishing a relationship and leveraging that relationship to to encourage and, you know, propel him back into the gospel rather than leveraging the commandments and, you know, lectures and reminding him, Hey, do you, you know, you broke the law of Jesse? Like, yeah, he knows that he already knows that he didn't need his bishop to remind him of that. He needs a bishop to remind him of the relationship that propels him back into the gospel, the same or similar relationship that, uh, Christ ha wants with that individual as well, you know, to yeah, nobody him to beat anybody him. back into the church. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Just, and if they did, it, it didn't it well. work. It doesn't work. And, and we, I think sometimes we uh, use fear and guilt and shame to try and motivate people's behavior. Um, here's the news for you. None of that stuff works. Um, it might work. And I know some parents who that's how they control their children until they leave home. And then mm -hmm. it doesn't go so well. So, um, again, no power influence can be maintained. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really awesome experiences. Uh, th th let's jump to the next principle I'm excited about. This is one that, uh, I haven't heard of before, but the really, really awesome and practical hug every widow before sacrament meeting. How, how does that, uh, any, any tips or is it just what it is? Well, first of all, I served a mission in Italy. Okay. And I come from a big Irishy family. So there's lots of hugging and kissing and stuff like that. That's just who I am. Um, but um, there's half a dozen widows in our ward. And 
they get touched exactly once a week, hmm. especially during COVID. Okay. Um, and it's, I, I've known these people, I've known them for 35 years and since I moved into the ward. And it's like, I love Margot and I love Emmy and I love Janet and I love these people. And they're like, they're not like my moms. They're not like my grandparents. They're just my friends. And um, I just hug them and I say, I love you. And how's your week? And I'll say, it's, I'm doing okay. And sometimes I'll say, can you come back after and give me another one? I said, absolutely. Um, pure religion undefiled before God and the Father is this, right? Yeah. Help widows and orphans and keep yourself unspotted from the world. Um, I think they said, you know, helping people in their affliction first. So I think by loving widows and orphans and people that are downtrodden, I actually help myself become more unspotted from the world. So, yeah, that's powerful. And, um, and there's just, you know, it's natural to, you know, I remember my time being Bishop is, and people are showing up, there's a few minutes before sacrament meeting or, and you sort of want to get as many handshakes in and smiles as possible. Right. But it's almost a, a helpful exercise to step back and say, what if I shifted that instead of trying to shake every hand in the room, what if I pinpointed certain individuals like the widows where I can have a, a deep, a deeper experience and connection point rather than, Hey, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? All right, we got them. Let's go uh, start the, the sacrament meeting. Right. That's really profound. Yeah. Connect with the people who need the connection first. Yeah. Um, a couple of weeks ago, there's a young woman in our ward who's, um, she's got wild hair and, and comes from a very, very crazy dysfunctional family. Um, but she comes in and sits in the back and sometimes it's during the opening, you know, I'll get up and walk back and hug her and say, I love you. And then go back and sit on the stand again, because it's important that she knows that I saw her and know she's there. And we have a wonderful relationship because of that. So yes, you want to be on the stand and yes, you want to be presiding, but I don't know. It, just, it seems we're so stuffy sometimes. And, um, I hate wearing suits, but I wear suits because it makes those people who expect me to wear a suit comfortable. Right. So a lot of what I do as a bishop, I do so people are comfortable. So people call me Bishop Bush. It's like, fine. That's what you need to do to feel comfortable. Go ahead and do it. But, um, you know, I'll spend a lot of time in the foyer where the people that don't quite fit in stay and the people who are feeling like maybe they don't, their babies are too loud or, or whatever, but pay attention to who's in the overflow. Cause that's the people that really need the ministering. Yeah. Yeah. The next principle you put down is teach the doctrine of the atonement is central to the gospel. How do you go about that? Well, as I say all the time over the pulpit, not weekly, but often is we're all broken. The good news is we get to be broken together. And the second thing is the atonement is plan A and there's no plan B. You are not going to get through this life without sin. There's one person that made it. And look what they did to him, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's you're going to. I'm not saying go out and try, but don't beat yourself up when you do, because that's that's Satan's shame shame game, right? You're not worthy of talking to me. You're not worthy of prayer. You're not worthy. You're not worthy of existing. You're nothing, right? Hmm. You're not going to repent if you think you're nothing. So it's just that 
I do. I mean, I'm really good at using the atonement because I suck. I mean, I make mistakes <laughs> all the time. It's like, yeah, yep, better pray for that one. Um, so I'm aware of the power of it and how powerful it is. And it's, it, it, it changes people's lives. Um, so yeah, just, just, I made a mistake, you know, and, and not to minimize the effects of pornography because I don't want to do that. But I had a brother come to me once and he's like, I'm a porn addict. I said, stop back up. Um, you might have an addiction. I am a X doesn't work, right? Cause you're not, you're a child of God who happens to have a porn addiction or a bad habit. Hmm. And I asked him, how many times did you look at pornography in the past six months? He said like, Oh, like, like three times. I'm like, okay, well, we don't have a porn problem. We have a something else problem. So were you tired, hungry, lonely, depressed? What was it? What triggered it? I was lonely. I said, okay, well, the next time you're lonely, what are we going to do about it? Something else. I write, right. Text me. Right. So it's more about solving the problem. And, um, now there are people that have porn addictions. Fortunately, there's not that many of them. My experience is pornography is never the root cause of the problem. It's a symptom of something else. Yeah. And often it's depression or loneliness or, you know, during COVID. Oh my gosh. Uh, it was, it was, it was rough. So what is okay. So when you start to feel like you can look at porn, you know, first of all, put a blocker on, do all the things you normally would do. Sure. But that's not going to stop it either. I mean, if you're determined to get a dopamine fix, you're going to get it. So it's like, text me, you know, and if you screw up, text me and say, had a bad day. Like, okay, what happened? We talked through it and it's okay. Now, you know, next time don't do that. And all the brothers I've worked with that had that sort of once in a while, once a month, every six weeks, porn habit, they went away because we solved the problem. And, um, we, we, we solve the root problem, which is yeah. shame and feeling unworthy and being depressed or having some other issue. And that, that, that seemed to be very effective, but immediately saying, okay, you need to go to the addiction recovery program, I think is way out of proportion. Hmm. I don't think that's helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Any other, uh, examples or points as far as teaching the doctrine of the atonement that, uh, come to mind? Um, this is tangential, but, but important. Um, learn how to pray because if you can't pray, you're not going to be able to apply the atonement in your life. Uh, what, what does that mean? Um, so you, you experienced this probably too. Um, I really learned how to pray effectively as an individual when I learned Italian because mm. you use familiar language with God. You use tu, not usted, right? Yeah. Um, because you don't say usted to your parents, right? So saying usted to your parents is kind of weird. So so that so using a formal language with your with your parents is strange. So using a formal language with God is is just as strange as that. Um, and I think it's a distancing phenomenon. I think you can keep things separate. So public prayer, and we talked about this at the fireside last night. I said so. Public prayer is what you know. What's it like? And what are some of the phrases you hear? every single week and every prayer over the meal. It's like nourish and strengthen our bodies and, you know, help us to be, arrive <laughs> home safely and, you know, all that stuff. And, and is that bad? No, but it's public and that's different. 
Um, if you pray like that to God behind your bed, I'd be concerned about you. That means you don't really communicate. So it's okay to talk to God like you talk to me or your parents. And um, here's here's an example that I taught. I, I gave this talk at Word Conference. So um, I've got very good friends in other religions. Um, a really dear friend of mine is the bishop of the, um, the Diocese of Detroit in the Episcopal Church. And we met through kayaking, actually. She's a kayaking instructor, and hmm. when she was ordained, she asked me if I would come invest for her ordination. I said, I don't know what that means. She said, you put on what you put on on Sunday, and I'm like, the suit? She's like, yeah. She says, do you have a stole? I'm like, I don't even know what a stole is. She's like, it's the thing you put around your neck so you look like somebody. I'm like, like I'm sure one of my employees is a retired Lutheran minister. He's like, yeah, I got one you can borrow. So I went and and basically went there to support her. And she told me a beautiful story. Um, so she grew up one of nine kids in an Irish Catholic family. And uh, when she was about 16, uh, she was, she had, it wasn't scrupulosity, but she was very, very concerned about sinning, like watching every move, making sure. And she was talking to the, the, the priest, a very wise man. And she said, father, I'm afraid of God. And he went, huh, you told him that? And she said, well, no. I said, what? Why don't you tell him that and see what happens? And she told me she knelt by her bed that night. She looked up, and there's this little crucifix. And she said, God, I'm afraid of you. And she said, and it started in my feet, and it moved up my body, and my entire body was on fire. And God said, don't be afraid of me. I love you no matter what. Um, so one of my best stories about love of God and unconditional love is from the Bishop of an Episcopalian church in Detroit. Hmm. Um, I told my kids that story and they went, wow. I said, if you're afraid of God, say, God, I'm afraid of you. I'm mad at you. I'm sad. This is me right here. You know me already. So why, why pretend? Right? Why do I try and pretend like you don't know everything about me? So there's something beautiful about presenting yourself like that before God as completely open, you know. And uh, it's like in the Garden of Eden, it's only after they take of the fruit that they notice that they're naked. Before that, um, it says, in the man and the woman, they were naked and unashamed. And mm -hmm. unashamed, right? But then they take the fruit, and then suddenly they're not naked anymore. They're naked, and the saint says, look, you're naked. And they're like, oh, now they have to hide things from God, as if they could, right? So now Satan tells us, hide everything from God. Hide yourself. Hide your sins. Hide everything that's not godly. Um, that's a really good way to not use the atonement, because you'll never access it unless you open yourself to God fully and say, I'm a mess. Here are the things about me that are a mess. And you and I'm feeling it right now. I feel the spirit saying, well, "Yes, you are." And guess what? I love you anyway. And how can we fix that? How can we fix that problem? So, if you know how to pray, and um, pray, pray like it works for you, um, you will access the power of the atonement. And one of the things we looked at last night is I showed a picture of Joseph Smith in bed when Angel Moroni appears to him, right? 
and he's like sitting up on one elbow, kind of propped up. And he says in his history, he was saying, I was praying to God, you know, aware of my sins. I don't remember exactly what he said when the light filled the room. So he wasn't kneeling by his bed praying when Moroni shows up. He was laying in bed going, oh, God, I'm a mess. I have all, you know, and, and he says, you know, don't think that I had all these horrible sins, but I was aware of the many shortcomings that I had, which was a beautiful insight from a, you know, what was he, 16 or 17 at that point? How many 17-year-olds sit in bed and think, man, I'm a mess, um, and ask God to help them? You know, pretty pretty remarkable man, even when he was a boy, right? Yeah. So, you know, if you want to pray, you know, does kneeling by your bed good? Yeah, it does. It keeps you from falling asleep. Um, but if you're laying in bed at night and you're anxious, feel free to say, hey, God, I'm, I'm kind of anxious right now. Can you help me sleep? But don't be afraid ever, ever to talk to God um, because he's always there all the time. Yeah, that's powerful. Love that. Uh, last principle you put here that I think is just a general theme for this whole interview, is, which is uh, love everyone, no exceptions. How do you uh, go about that? I love everybody, no exceptions. Oh, perfect. <laughs> um, and even people that are difficult to love. And this is, again, part of my spiritual practice in my business is I have to deal with people who aren't happy. Um, I'm in retail. Now, 99% of my customers are fantastic. Um, but I had a guy come in um, a couple of years ago, uh, just scruffy and looked like he had just been through hell and he had a 44 magnum on his hip and we're not an open carry state but whatever and he comes in and said how you doing I said i'm doing fine i said what can i help you with he said i'm buying two kayaks and i'm going on a trip I said cool he said yeah my wife died and she told me the last thing she told me is you need to go on a long trip I said how long has your wife been dead he said six weeks and I threw my arms around him and hugged him. And I said, I'm so sorry. And he threw his arms around me and said, thank you. I know this guy, right? Because the back of his van is full of, you know, American flags and NRA stickers, you know. And I'm a grinnell, crunchy, hippie dude. But it didn't <laughs> matter because at that point, he was a, a vulnerable son of God. And I just embraced him. And we talked, we got him the right stuff, we loaded up his van, he left, and, you know, I said, that's a pretty heavy thing to carry. And he goes out and reaches under his seat and he pulls out a Glock and plops it in my hand. He said, no, this is what I usually use. So the parking lot of this, my shop and these, these firearms all over the place, and, and I'm just kind of giggling at it. I'm like, so Dirty Harry, huh? He's like, yeah, that's my Red Hawk. And he was proud of it. You know, it was something that, that you know, I mean, I, I hunt, I don't, I'm not, but I'm not a rooter for you. I'm not a 44 Magnum guy, right? Uh -huh. um, I, I just, I love this man. So about a year later, um, he walks in and he said, hey, recognize me? And it was a different guy. And I ran on the counter, I just hugged him. I said, oh my gosh, you look so good. He said, yeah, it's been a year. He said, thank you. And... Um, that's what I did. Yeah. And I don't hug all my customers, but God said, hug this man. He needs it. 
he needs someone to see him and connect with him and look at him and go, I'm here for you. Yeah. And the fact that he drove, he makes it not even from Madison. He drove from wherever he was to just to come in and say hi and then see me. And, um, it's been about a year since I saw him, but I'm sure he'll pop back in again. Yeah. I so, that. That's powerful. Well, you just do the same thing at church. You know, <laughs> I have lots of good stories. Um, so this man came into my office looking pretty rough. Um, he said, I'm not a member of your church. And I'm like, okay, well, I have the, the $20 rule. If someone asks for something and they're not a member and they need 20 bucks, I give them 20 bucks. It's not fast offering. It's just Darren's $20 rule. Yeah. <laughs> said, yeah, I just got to town. I need gas. I'm a, I'm a plumber. I'm trying to get out the steam fitter union and all that. I said, yeah, here's 20 bucks. Fine. Yeah, I don't care if he's lying or not. It doesn't matter. You know? I said, so what brings you in here? He said, well, my son's a member. I'm not. I said, well, what are you? He said, I'm Catholic. I said, well, you're welcome here anytime. Two weeks later, he walks in, walks in the deck of the, 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 the cult or the um, chapel, walks in during the services, crosses himself and sits down. I'm like, we win. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <And back. laughs> I went back over and shook his hand and, and uh, said, welcome. Thanks for coming back. How things going? He said, yeah, I'm all good. I'm all set. And um, that was maybe in, in some people might see a guy walk in and work boots crossing himself and I think, what is he doing here? And I said, what he's doing here is he's, he's loving God in the way that he knows how. So yeah. uh, everybody, if they walk into the door, your job is to love them. Yeah. No exceptions. Yeah. And I love how you frame that, you know, that first story that uh, loving them is you're seeing them, you know, you didn't necessarily agree with everything that the, the, the customer believed or thought or opinions he had or whatever, but you saw him in that moment as somebody who was hurting be, uh, over the loss of his wife. And that's where the love begins is I see you. Like, I don't care what you are or who you think you are or, or, you know, what you believe or don't believe or what you do, but I see you right now in this moment. Right. Right. Yep. I see yeah. you. You exist. And, you know, when he left, I hugged him again, said, God bless you. He said, thank you. I don't know if he's religious or not. I don't care. Yeah. Because God bless you either means God bless you or I, I see you and care about you. Yep. Really good. Well, Darren, this has been uh, really, uh, really insightful and inspiring. I've, you know, the spirit's been with us and I've, uh, I just appreciate you sharing these stories and, and your approach and whatnot. Um, I've got uh, one more question for you, but anything, any principle or point story that we missed before uh, we wrap up? Um. I mean, I think you already got this from me. Um, the handbook is really good, but the handbook is also very vague. They'll say things like, generally it is appropriate too, or sometimes it is appropriate too. Um, and the more the handbook changes, the more vague it gets. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. Yeah, I, I have for sure. It used, it, it used to say brass instruments are not appropriate in the chapel. And I say, well, whatever. I don't care. We have a brass quartet. We have brass at Christmas and Easter because we've had brass at Christmas and Easter forever. And um, we've got a lot of really good musicians in our ward because of the university. Um, we've got some amazing vocalists. But, um, you know, I, the state president uh, said, I love coming to your ward on, on Christmas um, because you do it right. And our old members are like, oh, this is like when we were Methodist, when we were first married. <laughs> yeah. And and it's like, 
this isn't worshipful. I said, I dare you to say this is not worshipful because you know, on Easter, you know, Christ the Lord is risen today doesn't work on a violin. Right. It doesn't. And everybody loves it and it helps them worship better. It's not because the handbook says this and I don't, I'm not going to do that because I don't want to, because I'm rebellious. It's more than like, this is better for my members. And guess what? That's gone now. It's mm-hmm. out. It just says, you should choose up to you, right? and instruments that are worshipful. So thank you. Um, but yeah, do what's best for the members. And uh, the handbook is a, is a handbook, not a book of commandments. It's there to guide you, but don't be afraid to deviate from it if it's going to bless a member's life, period. Nice. Nice. Well, Darren, this has been great. Uh, any, um, what's the name of your, your retail store? Do you have an online platform? Are you all just local there? It's called Rutabaga, Rutabaga Paddle Sports. And uh, we're rutabaga.com. Um, nice. Yeah, it's uh, from an old Frank Zappa song. Um, the, <laughs> the guy bought the business from, I think, smoked a lot of reefer when he was in college and listened to Frank Zappa <laughs> and started the shop. And then I went to work for him in the early 90s. Uh, well, in 90 part time, I was working at my real job at the Department of Health and then came here on weekends. Um, Friday and Saturday, I worked four tens, and then I was here. And then I became a manager and then GM and then vice president, and then I bought him out. And um, but I kept the name because it's like Rutabaga, what does that have to do with paddling? I said, about as much as Amazon has to do with books, you know. <laughs> Yeah, gorilla, right? Think of the the websites that have nothing to do with anything. Yeah, but Rutabaga, everybody knows what a Rutabaga is. So it's uh, yeah, Rutabaga dot com, and it's it's um, it's really fun. It really is. Um, I, I I love coming to work. I love driving in the parking lot and seeing my employees' cars, and knowing that I get to see them today. I mean, they're. I try not to be paternalistic with them, but they're like my kids. And you know, two of them <laughs> bought houses the past couple months, and they're they're getting married, and they're and it's like, you know, there's a lot of ways to keep score as your success in a business. One of them is how much money do you have in your bank, and how big of a car do you drive, and how many vacation homes do you have. Mine is how many of my employees own houses, and um, we're getting there. We're getting there. That's cool. So, that's it's, awesome. It's so it's yeah, my heart is breaking. I love them. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome. Wonderful. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, Darren, the last question I have for you is you reflect on these uh four plus years uh serving as as bishop, as the leader of, of your ward. How has being a leader helped you become a better follower of Jesus Christ? Well, right off the bat is I understand what it's like to be poor. So I was in graduate school, you know, with an $8,000 a year stipend and loans and, you know, food stamps and that's poor, but that's different. That's upwardly mobile poor. That's, there's going to be an end to this someday and you will have an income and you will have a life. Um, I have members that will be poor their whole lives. They will, because of, um, because of the race, because of their education, because of the situations they're put in, um, we'll never be able to really feel what it's like to be secure. Um, I remember the day that I got a car that started every time I turned the key. Um, a lot of these people will never know that feeling, right? And the thing is, as an entitled white male, 
you know, who's relatively well off. If my car doesn't start, so what? I call my shop and say, I'm going to be late. They go, okay. If their car doesn't stop, they get fired. Right? They don't show up, they're done. So they live with a level of insecurity from poverty that I will never know. So it has taught me compassion. You have to, it's put me in a place where I have to think about these things and not just, yeah, it's, it's, we need to help the poor. It's like, no, we need to help each person who is poor because the poor as a group is anonymizing them, right? If that's a word, they're just this, this thing over here that we have to raise fast offerings for help. But when you sit with someone who says, yeah, um, I'm working for, I'm working, I mean, I never ask if they're documented or not. It's none of my business. But when they say, I'm working for this guy who pays cash, okay, and they're not documented, and I hurt myself at work, um, they're done, right? No workers comp, no nothing, they're done. Um, it's You have no, no basis in saying anything about anything until you've sat with them in their pain and known what they're having to go through. Um, you know, there's no... There's no surprise why Jesus spent all of his time with people that were disenfranchised. Um, they were the ones that needed him, and they were the ones that listened. Um, if everything is going great, you know, God becomes secondary. If you live a life of comfort, where things are generally pretty good, and you're not necessarily a religious or a spiritual person, who cares about God, right? You have enough food to eat, you have clothes to wear, you have, you know, everything you need. Um, until you realize you don't really have anything <laughs> and none of it's yours and it's all an illusion and the only thing that really matters is connections with other people so um, that's taught me a lot um, it's ta taught me how to put myself um, behind everybody instead of in front of everybody and so at my shop like I said um, we're having a groundbreaking we're building a new building and that's going to happen in April I'm not going to be in the picture because all I'm doing is writing checks. They're the ones that are going to be doing this. So my GM and my managers are going to be the ones doing the groundbreaking. I don't have to be that guy. And when you're not that guy, you can be made way more effective as a leader because they know that you've got their backs, literally. Thanks for listening. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, make sure to visit leadingsaints.org to find similar content that will inspire you to be more prepared to lead. Simply text the word lead to 474747 and we'll send you a link to make it easy to get started. Also, would you mind sending this episode to another person who would find it insightful? Maybe in a text message or an email? It will definitely bless their life. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away, and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.